Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hoop Scoop Pod. My name is Nate. And again, this week, I'll be doing this podcast alone. Um, unfortunately, my pod pal, Phil, had to return to school today, and he's on his way back to the Philadelphia area, so he won't be around to do the podcast. And I know you guys need the podcast for the fresh week, so here I am giving it to you guys on a Sunday night at 9 p.m. I am back on the East Coast, was in Los Angeles for the past week. Um, pretty fun experience. Got to see a Laker game, Staples Center for the first time. Got to see LeBron and AD play for the first time. Um, I'll give you guys my thoughts on that experience at the end of the podcast. But uh, first things first, I want to give you guys my analysis of some of the bigger things that happened this week. Um, I want to talk a few trade things because I think some of our trade talk is developing more so in the league and then I want to talk about a team or two that I think are going through some interesting times in the league so let's get right into it so first before we get into our trades I want to talk about a team that I've talked about and we talked about extensively on the pod all year um you know Phil and I are Knicks fans so we're we're gonna give you guys a lot of Knicks talk but being in this area I'm gonna watch a lot of Brooklyn Nets as well I'm gonna take in a lot of Brooklyn Nets kind of coverage Brooklyn Nets content and the Nets are going through a really interesting time right now and I just want to talk about what's been happening with them recently um what's going to be happening in the future and kind of where you are if you're a Nets fan and um you know what your expectations should be going forward um I don't want this to be framed as you know Nets hate um, I'm just kind of giving you guys the facts about what's been happening. Um, the Nets aren't going through the smoothest time right now. So I, I'm not gonna say I saw this coming because I, I've been saying all year and I've, I've been unbiased with this. Um, I've been impressed with the way the Brooklyn Nets have been playing for the majority of the year. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie has, I've been on record saying, I think he should be an all-star this year. Um, I'm not going to shy away from that because he's still been playing relatively high level. Um, but I've been scared of what's happening right now happening, especially without Kyrie Irving. Um, so Kyrie Irving, I think he's missed the last 23 games. Um, he had some kind of shoulder injury earlier in the year. I believe he said he re-injured it in a game against Memphis. Um earlier in the year. I think this goes all the way back to the end of October, actually. This was a really early season kind of injury. Um, and I think the last game we saw with him was November 12th when uh, Brooklyn lost to Utah Jazz. Uh, no, actually, sorry, November 14th when they played Denver Nuggets. That, I believe, was the last game that he played. Um, so Kyrie spoke to the media for the first time, I think, since the injury yesterday. Um and I was really interested to hear this, not just because whenever Kyrie Irving opens his mouth, it's caused to kind of turn your attention, but just because Kyrie obviously is the name that you associate with the Brooklyn Nets right now. Um, Kevin Durant being out for the year, he's a guy that is kind of in the background while he gets ready for next year, and Kyrie is the face of the team, at least for this season. Um, so it's just kind of it's kind of crazy to see that the fact that he's pretty much been a non-factor um, through, I think, for the most part, has been a relatively successful year based on kind of the lack of weaponry that they ha- they've had. Uh, we can't forget also that Karis LeVert missed, has missed a very large portion of the season. He's just come, came back 
but they've been working with Spencer Dinwiddie being kind of the catalyst of their offense, and then relying on Jared Allen, Torian Prince, Joe Harris to be their auxiliary scorers. Um, and they've had some really nice wins. You know, they've they've played some games where I've been pretty impressed. Uh, but it's come to a point where I'm not sure how sustainable this is without the offensive firepower that they need. Um, so Kyrie spoke to me yesterday, talked about a shoulder injury. I uh, didn't really say anything that stuck out too much, uh, but he he wasn't very adamant about giving a time frame where he could come back, giving a game that he's eyeing. Um, he said as he said as much as it kind of hurts to lift his shoulder for his jumper and shoulder injuries are tough. They're tough because especially in basketball with the amount of range you need for your shoulder. Um, if you're feeling discomfort in your arms, um, when it comes to shooting the ball, dripping the ball, it's just not going to be a good time. And then there's always the risk of re-injury. Uh, we saw this with Paul George last year. He really kind of um, took a dip after the shoulder started to get worse with the Thunder. He started off, as we remember, red hot. People were talking about his as an, him as an MVP candidate. And then by the playoffs, we weren't seeing the same Paul George that we've seen, especially shooting the basketball. And he came out of the Clippers really hot this year. And I remember him being asked, what is the biggest difference? And he said, I can lift my shoulder above my head, kind of um, jokingly. But I do think that shooters especially really feel the difference. Um, so I don't think this is something Kyrie's going to rush. Uh, the the Nets know that this year is not only a contending year, but listen, if you're a Nets fan, you know, you knew that Durant probably wasn't going to play this year. You were excited to have a year of Kyrie Irving where you expected to get into the postseason and maybe win, win a round if you're, you know, if you maybe get a good draw or win two rounds. Um, you, you have a lot of the same nucleus as last year, I think, but you do have some upgrades, you brought in, you bring in Torian Prince, who is has been a nice piece, and then you upgrade from D'Angelo Russell to Kyrie Irving. So you would think that the Nets would expect to be as good as last year at least, um, but they've kind of been robbed of that thus far. Kyrie Irving hasn't really been a part of the team for the most part. Karis LeVert has been hurt, um, and it's, I'm not saying these guys fall, but it is unfortunate for a Nets fan. So where does that leave them now? Um, Brooklyn has lost their last five games. They were hovering at 16-13 on December 21st. Now here we are sitting on January 5th. They're 16-18. They're in the Eastern Conference. It's not like, you know, they sank to the bottom of the standings. They're still in the seventh spot. Uh, But it has kind of that the margin for error is a lot smaller. Orlando's only one game behind them. Charlotte's only three games behind them. Um, Detroit's only four games behind them, and the the scary part for Brooklyn is their schedule right now. It's it is rough. I'm just I'll read it out. Um, so they go, let me. So they go through January twenty third at Orlando versus the Thunder versus the Heat versus Atlanta versus Utah at Philly, Bucks at home, Sixers at home, Lakers at home. I mean that is a grueling that is a grueling stretch right there and there's only one game there that I think they're going to be favored and that's going to be when they have the Hawks in their home arena. So that's a really tough stretch with probably Kyrie Irving missing all of it. Um so where does that lead the Brooklyn Nets? 
it's not really going to change much with them um, in terms of kind of like, I don't think they're going to go to the trade deadline or anything, thinking anything different. But it is just something that kind of caught my eye, and it kind of does suck for Nets fans being a team that um, was hoping to have, you know, some, some star power in Kyrie Irving, working in the young talent of Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, and now they have this makeshift group, which has been doing relatively well, but they've kind of hit a block. Um, you know, they, they lose to the Knicks at home, where they only make eight two-point field goals. Um, that's not a good look. And they, they go into a really shorthanded Minnesota team, lose in overtime, um, and, the, and they've lost uh, the other two games in their five-game losing streak have been Houston, Dallas, and Toronto, all three good teams that you'd expect to lose. The problem is you're going to be playing those good teams you expect to lose to um, for the next one, two, three, four, five, six, for the next 10 games. And as I said, I think there's only going to be one game in that bunch where they're going to be favored. So I don't know what the deal is with Kyrie Irving. It is kind of a bizarre situation. You don't want to jeopardize next year because next year is kind of the year for Brooklyn. Um, you expect to have Kevin Durant back. Um, you expect to kind of be fully reloaded with Karis LeVert, hopefully feeling better, and hopefully Kyrie Irving as well. Um, so it's going to be interesting. How much does Brooklyn care about doing something this year? I don't think anybody expects them to win the East or, make, or you know, pr- probably most people don't even expect them to win a playoff round. But, you know, there is value in making the playoffs. I think a lot of NBA teams, despite what people might hear, by the tanking and stuff, and even in terms of business, it's a good move to make the playoffs. Um, and I think Brooklyn especially, after the offseason they had, it would be a huge disappointment to see their team not playing in the postseason, having that excitement of the Barclays Center. So Brooklyn's for sure a team I'm going to be watching on. Um, hopefully Kyrie can play because, you know, although in terms of what he says and what he does, sometimes it kind of confuses me, but... Listen, Kyrie Irving is one of the most exciting players in the league, and um, the league's in a better place when he's playing. It's it's kind of as cool, fun as the NBA season has been. We've we've been robbed of so many great players, which is kind of I, it's it's good that we haven't realized it as much. But when you think we haven't really seen Stephen Curry play, we haven't really seen Kevin Dur- well, we haven't seen Kevin Durant play, we haven't seen Klay Thompson play, and we pretty much haven't seen Kyrie Irving play. Um, a lot of stars in this league, and not just stars, but like exciting stars like Kyrie Irving, Stephen Curry, Clay, uh, Kevin Durant, um, Clay Thompson. These are guys that you know highlight kind of guys that every night we open up our phone and you know we see that they did something crazy in their games. Um, it does suck that they haven't been played really been a part of this season, but uh, just want to you know bring it to you guys' attention. The Brooklyn Nets, um, there's something going on there that I think should be uh, recognized, uh, and hopefully we can see Kyrie Irving back on the floor soon because you know he's one of my favorite players to watch, and I'd like to see him in the playoffs as well. I'd like to see a good series where uh, Kyrie Irving can play. I think that they're definitely a playoff team in the East with Kyrie Irving playing, but as I said, they have a grueling schedule coming up, and if they don't have Kyrie Irving, it's going to be tough to win you know, any of those games outside of the Atlanta game. Those are all really tough matchups. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's uh, just a team that has been struggling, and I honestly think they're going to continue to struggle just based on their schedule. Hopefully we can see Kyrie Irving come back and make more of a difference. Um, but, yeah, that remains to be seen. Uh, I want to pivot to a team that 
kind of on the flip side of the Brooklyn Nets, have just been really playing cohesively. A team that before the year I was actually pretty high on, and I'm happy to see them playing well because they have a lot of players that I like, a lot of players that I'm happy that they're playing well, and it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, I remember in our preseason uh, preview pod, Phil and I were talking about teams with Vegas win totals that we thought would go over and under, and listen, we we had a few flops. Um, I remember we said Dallas would go under their total. I think it was like thirty nine and a half. Um, that looks to be definitely an overplay. But we also looked at the total of the Oklahoma City Thunder, which was listed as thirty one and a half, and we both thought that was way too low. Um, I thought that before the year, the Thunder would at the minimum, be like a fringe playoff team, kind of fighting the whole year, hovering around 500. And right now, they're showing me that their their nucleus just works really well together. And I'm happy to see because you have guys like, you know, some older players like Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari. Um, Dennis Schroeder's not an older player, but a guy, a guy who's been around a while. Um, same with Steven Adams, not only an older player, but a guy who's been around for a few years. And um, these players, these guys are really meshing together. It seems to be kind of seamless. I don't really see a lot of tension on the court. And that's always nice to see. And they're playing really well. And then you combine that with with the younger guys. Obviously, Shea Gillis-Alexander is um, the first name that pops up when you uh, think of this team. Um, but then also, uh, you know, some players that you probably didn't think would contribute as much as they are. Actually, like maybe Darius Baisley who he's not doing a whole lot. He's only averaging, I think, four points per game. But I don't know. When I turn on the TV and watch Darius Baisley, I see a player who I think could develop into something. So I just really like what the Thunder are doing, their combination of young players and veterans. Um, Chris Paul's a guy who I thought would have a really good season, and he's just doing Chris Paul things. He's not the Chris Paul that was you know 26 in New Orleans and slicing guys up and scoring 25 every game. But he's just doing a really nice job of engineering that offense, playing very efficiently. 16 points per game right now for Chris Paul, shooting um, 47% from the field and 36 from three. So that's just classic tip Chris Paul things. I just like where this team is heading. I think that this is a playoff team. Um, I've kind of always put them in that bottom of the Western Conference playoff tier. Um, they're, they're, they've won... Five straight games at this point. They have a tough one coming up in Philadelphia tomorrow, which will be an interesting matchup. Um, but hey, I don't, I don't think that's a game that they can't win. Philadelphia has been struggling. Um, Oklahoma City has not. They've beat some good teams. They beat Dallas. They went into Toronto and won. And I know that Toronto doesn't have Pascal Siakam, but that's a tough place to place to play. Anytime you go into Toronto, it's going to be. Um, Kind of a rock fight, and they pulled that one out, 98-97, getting 32 from Gilders Alexander. Um, I just can't say enough about what SGA has been doing this year. When they made that trade for Paul George, everybody talked about their war chest of assets that they got. Now, obviously, those are all good things, but really, I think the the asset that they really got that they should be tipping their ta- their hat on is uh, Shea Gilders Alexander. At this point, he, there is not too many young guards that I would rather have over him. Um, I really think his upside is that high. He's already really improving as a shooter, and that was, I think, his main weakness, especially coming out of the draft. Um, but he's six six, good feel for the game, a lot of defensive potential, can rebound the ball, um, really crafty around the around the rim. We saw it last year in the playoffs with the Clippers. 
Um, scoring 25 against the Warriors in the playoffs. I mean, that's no easy thing to do for anybody, especially a rookie at that time. So uh, hats off to Shea. Um, he's been proving why I think everybody covered him so much in the offseason. And I'm uh, interested to see how well the Thunder can really end up because I think that um, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs and you're not going to want to play a team with veteran guys like Chris Paul, Steven Adams, and then the dynamic athleticism and talent of a guy like Shea. Um, they're going to be a dangerous team all year, 20-15 and 15 right now. They are, I believe, sitting at 7th in the West. Um, I'll double-check. Yeah, they're 7th in the West, two games out from the 6th spot in Dallas. So they're in the thick of it, and I think that um, they will definitely be a playoff team at this point. Um, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't think so. Kind of in the West right now, it's the top seven are all you know above 500 teams, and then eight and below, it's kind of a rock fight. With um, you know the Spurs, Blazers, Suns, Grizzlies, Kings, you know even Timberwolves. Really, the only team that seems out of it at this point is the is the Warriors. Um, but the Thunder have kind of separated themselves into that legitimate solid tier of the Western Conference playoffs. So uh, good to see the Thunder doing well. I'm happy for them because you know after things didn't really go the way they'd like with Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and I think they they did well with the Paul George trade. It's nice to see them kind of be able to rebuild while putting a watchable product on the floor, which you don't always see. Um, so a little trade news I want to talk about uh, involving none other than Andre Drummond. It seems like every year we talk about Andre Drummond as a trade target. Um, Detroit's always looking for ways to kind of bolster their team in weird ways. They did so a couple of years ago with the Blake Griffin trade. And now we see them doing some weird stuff with Andre Drummond, it seems like. Um, for me, the Pistons have been probably one of the most disappointing teams of the year. I thought that they'd be able to put together and maybe be a solid playoff team. A lot of that's also due to just Blake Griffin's complete inability to stay on the floor. It's kind of sad what's happening with Blake. He is just a shell of himself. He can't stay healthy. Um... And he's getting paid a lot of money. So Detroit's in a little bit of a bind. I think that they kind of, they're, they're probably going to try to mail it in with this whole Blake experiment. Just try to make the best of, of it. Um, it doesn't seem like they're a playoff team this year. Maybe they are just making going to make it because the bottom of the East is just really bad. They're 13-23, and 23 and they're only three games out of the eight spot. But this is just not a product that I think Detroit's going to want to go too much longer with. Um, so, that yeah, there have been talks that they want to move Andre Drummond, and the team that's been connected to Detroit is the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks sitting at 8-28 with the worst record in the NBA. So why do they want Andre Drummond? I'm... Not fully sure. Um, my best guess would be that they just want somebody to pair with Trey Young for next year and just see where it goes. I guess they don't really see any any player or any group of players that they're going to pull their money together and kind of throw it at this offseason. It is a relatively weak free agent class, and they already have some really bad money tied up to... Chandler Parsons, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, three guys just really making a lot of money. Um, Chandler Parsons making $25 million this year, Evan Turner 18.6, Alan Crabb 
$18.5 million. Three guys that are barely even in the rotation. And it's come out that Atlanta has communicated to these players that they're really not going to be playing them much. They're going to be looking at them on the in the trade market, and their priority is going to be playing their young players, which, listen, at least, they're, at least they're being transparent about it. So what does that leave us with? That leaves us with them wanting Drummond for primarily next year because um, he'll be a free agent in the 2021 um, he has a player option for next year. I guarantee he'll opt in. He's going to be making $28.7 million next year. I don't see him getting that anywhere else. So you see him opting in most likely if he gets traded to Atlanta. And then I guess Atlanta just seeing what the Trey Young, Andre Drummond experiment does. I mean, he's not an old guy, but he's also not like a super youngster. He'll be 27 next season. So I don't know. I guess they, they want to... They don't really have a center right now. They have Alex Len, but at this point, I think they're kind of giving up on him as being much of a player. Um, Drummond is talented. He can do some things on the floor. It's just never really... Um, it's it's never really amounted to much of like a winning product. And I suppose they think that he can help Trey Young, maybe give him like a lob target, just help him out on defense in terms of... When Trey Young inevitably gets caught on a screen and Drummond can be that health defender that you know Tyson Chandler and DeAndre DeAndre Jordan have been of the past, I don't know. Um, I think Atlanta, in a sense, is kind of just throwing their terrible contracts at whatever they think might stick, and I guess at this point they might think it will be Andre Drummond. So that's what I think Atlanta's thinking from their standpoint. Um, so from Detroit's standpoint, what would they want in you know, in a Andre Drummond trade, obviously they're going to have to take on some bad money because just to make the money work in the first place, that'll happen. So Chandler Parsons, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, one of the three at this point, it doesn't even matter, probably not. Um, they probably want, they, they probably have to take one of those on. And then they're going to want something to make this worth it. Um, I don't see Atlanta really giving up like a first round pick or anything. So do they have any kind of young player that they can use as a, a sort of asset to give to Detroit. Um, because I, I guess Atlanta does want under Drummond. It's not like they're taking him off their hands as a salary dump. So who's a young player? They're not going to give him one of their guys that they actually think are part of their core. Um, so obviously not Trey Young because he's a star. Um, DeAndre Hunter, they're not giving up on him so early, even though he's been up and down this year. Same with Cam Reddish, not giving up on him in their first year. Um, so I look at a guy like, and also not Kevin Herter, because I think he's legitimately part of their core as, um, a wing shooter that they think can grow with Trey Young. I look at a guy that people have probably forgotten in Jabari Parker. (laughs) Maybe the Detroit Pistons just want to take a flyer on Jabari Parker, see if he could kind of work with, um, you know, Luke Kennard, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's the the best they would probably go for. Um, you know, maybe they throw out Damian Jones as a young center, see if he could develop Bruno Fernando maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I know Jabari Parker and Derrick Rose have that Chicago connection. Jabari Parker has spoken very highly of Derrick Rose in the past, so that might be nice to see. But, yeah, it's kind of a weird – it would be a weird trade, honestly, because I'm just not sure exactly what Atlanta wants to do with Andre Drummond. But – We'll see. That's the biggest trade news to kind of pop up.
um, from this past week. So uh, just my two cents on the uh, the Dodger German situation between um, Detroit and the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, yeah, so to finish off the show, I kind of want to give you guys some of my insight from this past week when I went to the Lakers game. Um, so it was my first time going to Staples Center, first time in California, first time um, seeing LeBron James, Anthony Davis in person, so that was really fun. Um, they were playing the Phoenix Suns, so I don't know if you guys remember that game. It happened on New Year's Day, and really interesting game, actually. The The Lakers start out just ridiculously hot. They couldn't miss a shot. Suns couldn't make a shot. They were getting turnovers. LeBron was dunking. AD was dunking. It was it was fun, but um, that didn't last too long. Um, so the Lakers come out to I think it was like a forty three to sixteen lead after the first quarter, and they honestly kind of sleepwalked through the rest of the game. And by the end, it was like they 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 really took it down to I think it got as as low as you know six points and um, maybe eight points. And the Lakers did end up pulling away by 10. LeBron hit a big three to um, finish the game. The Lakers tried to kind of like go into cruise control and finish the game. They put in their bench players to start the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, they, the, the Suns went on like a quick like 8-0 run, take it from like 14 points to 6 points or something like that. And um, immediately Vogel put uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James back into the game. Um, it took a little bit, but LeBron hit a dagger three to... Really put it away. Monster game for LeBron. I think he went for like 31, 13, and 12 or something. Um, so that was fun to see. In terms of the Staples Center, though, uh, I really liked it. The statues in front are, are really cool. The, I got to see the Shaq statue, Magic, Kareem, Elgin Baylor, Jerry West. They have the Chick Hearn statue as well for their um, former announcer. They do have, I think, some issues with their seating a little bit in terms of, in comparison to other arenas I've been to. And I'm mostly spoiled because most of my games have been in Madison Square Garden. Um, but, like, they really fit a lot of seats into not that big of a place. Staples Center, it didn't strike me as that big. Maybe Lakers fans can correct me, but it didn't seem like that big of a building. And... You know, I got pretty crappy seats because I was, you know, not trying to spend $400, but because those Lakers seats are like, ooh, I mean, I guess that'll be what Knicks tickets will be like if one day they're good. But, um, yeah, spent quite a quite a pretty penny for seats that were in the upper, upper deck. I think there's only one row above me before you kind of had, like, the wall of the building. But, um, anyway, yeah, it was a little tight. And I just I think that an arena like Mad Square Garden does a better job of making you feel like even if you're really up high in the arena, it doesn't feel as high. There's kind of some always like an aisle you can kind of get up and walk behind you, so there's space behind you. Um, you look behind me, and there's literally the wall of the building. So like, uh, it, you know, it wasn't a huge deal. I still had a really easy view of the game. I could see everything that happened. But uh, just my two cents on kind of the architecture of the arena. But um, in terms of the atmosphere and the vibe, um, shout Lakers fans, you know, really fun atmosphere to be inside of. When they were going off in that first quarter, 
Uh, it was it was rocking in there. You you would not think it's a regular season game against the Suns in January. Um, I, LeBron had one really crazy fast break dunk. It was like this double clutch thing. He took off and the whole place was just roaring. Um, they were roaring during the pregame introductions. They they honestly might have given AD an even louder um, cheer than LeBron. I mean they're they're really embracing AD, which is kind of cool to see. Uh, you know maybe he's their their next Laker their next great Laker big man, but, uh, yeah, La- Staples Center, really nice vibe, really fun atmosphere, full house, which is always nice to see for a regular season game, especially, you don't always know what you're going to get, but clearly the Laker fans, you know, they come out, and listen, I'm not a Laker fan by any means, I honestly root against them a lot, but I respect, um, kind of the basketball culture that exists in Los Angeles and in that arena especially, so, shout out to the Lakers. Gave me a good time. Um, that was kind of how I ended my trip, and it was a lot of fun. So that'll do that for this week's edition of the Hoop Scoop Pod. My name is Nate, and as always, if you like our content, follow us on Twitter at Hoop Scoop Pod. Listen to our podcast, which gets published on all major platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Anchor app, if you so choose. And tune in next week for another scoop of the Hoop.